All right. Well, good morning again, everyone. Thanks, band, for that. It's been a while, right, Peter? Maybe a number of years? I don't know how long, but always love when you guys do that one, so thank you. Um, well, again, guys, my name's Chris. If you walked in late, I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks again for, for coming if it's your first Sunday and joining us for our, our gathering. We are in a sermon series right now. If you're new to our church, we, uh, the vast majority of the time we preach uh, what's called expositionally or kind of A to Z through a book of the Bible. Uh, there's many reasons for that, all of which I really won't go into today for the sake of time. But uh, every once in a while, we break for uh, topical sermons, and a lot of times for sermons that, uh, whether they're just something the elder who's preaching wants to preach, uh, that's one thing, but a lot of times we pause to kind of talk about values or beliefs we have as a church that uh, might be a bit more appropriate to talk about uh, topically. And so as Peter said, uh, we're going to talk about baptism today. Um, and I wasn't going to do this. I was going to uh, preach another psalm, which I've been doing this summer now and then. Psalms on shuffle. Uh, Peter, Peter quipped last week. I like that. Next year, it's going to be our, what we call it. Um, but uh, after spending some time in it, realizing what baptism is happening today after the service, which you guys saw. If you weren't aware of that, I guess you saw uh, on the slide. If you came in late, uh, we're going to have some baptisms at Lake Nokomis at 12 p.m., the west uh, side, larger beach there. Uh, 12, 12, 15 p.m. We'd love to have you guys join us for that, to witness that. And we'll talk about actually why it's so important to, to watch them, not just to be baptized, but to watch baptisms too here in uh, just a minute. But So I switched gears because I realized we have not preached topically on baptism since 2008, which for a Baptist church like us is almost a sin. It's like uh, <laughs> not quite um, there, but I realized what? I thought I could have sworn it's been just a couple of years, but it's been almost a decade, so it's time uh, to, to pause and, and talk about uh, baptism as, as a church topically. And we have, we did in the sermons, you guys, some of you guys know this, but topically it's been, been a while. So uh, just come right out and say what our position is as, as a church, and then we'll come back and sort of defend this, but uh, I'll talk about uh, what it means to, to teach versus preach and, and the difference there in just a second. Um, but if you didn't know this about us as a church, we... Um, we uh, are credo-baptist, uh, it's called. Actually, go back here. No, I guess that is the right slide. Our position is credo-baptist, or believer's baptism. Uh, basically, uh, it, it is a position that believes that baptism is properly administered at or after conversion when a person credally, so credo is, is, comes from the Latin for I believe, so when a person credally professes faith and that it is the practice of immersing fully a Christian in water as a sign of washing renewal, but especially death and resurrection. So uh, it would be a position that would contrast with um, pedo-baptism or the practice of baptizing uh, infants in, in a church. Uh, this uh, paragraph here is part of our statement of faith as a church that all of our leadership and membership upholds here. This is part of it because it talks about communion too as the two ordinances or sacraments of the church as we, uh, as Protestants believe, uh, this is part of it. It says, we believe that Christian baptism is the public declaration of a believer's faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. We believe that immersion of the believer in water in the name of the triune God is the richest expression of the New Testament example. There's more to say definitionally about baptism than that. I think that's a great synopsis, and we'll talk more about it uh, here in a bit. Uh, but again, today, my, my goal is just really to teach. And uh, we do that every week. Uh, we preach a bit more than teach some, uh, for the most part. This is a preaching time more than just a kind of a classroom setting. But I do want to teach. And I hope to persuade those of you who don't share our position. That, that is a goal of mine. 
I hope to persuade you. I know many of you don't share this, and some of you maybe just don't know what, what you think yet. You're kind of neutral. Um, but if you don't share it, and I don't convince you, uh, please know that that's okay, and you're very, very welcome here. Uh, th this is important to us as a church, and I'm saying that on behalf of leadership and our membership as a church, but this is not the bullseye of the faith either. It's important to understand. This is very important for us, but you, it's possible to have something be very important and still very, as we would say, staunchly biblical and have perspective on that and reasons why we have perspectives on that or beliefs on that, but still not make it the bullseye of the faith either. So we can have some diversity here and some open-handedness on some level with uh, where people can be while still being in, in community and being very involved, even in leadership uh, at, at this church. So I want to teach, but my bigger goal today is to preach this doctrine of baptism. Because it's one thing to say, this is what baptism is. It's another thing altogether to say, this is how baptism is good news to us. And that's really what I want to talk about more today. So and that, that actually can, that can mean something to you wherever you're at. If, you, if you're a Christian or not, if you've been baptized or not, that latter piece uh, can, uh, so we're going to teach, but that latter piece is really where I want to hit on. In, uh, and I'll weave it in, but especially to, to end. So the big question then today, if you want to, you know, I didn't pose it as a question. We're going to talk about baptism and the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll define that in a bit. But the big, if you want to form it in the form of a question, the question is, what is baptism? And so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. And from primarily two angles here, uh, first is baptism is a sign of salvation throughout the whole Bible. And the second is we'll talk more particularly about what that salvation is. So, so first, baptism is a sign of salvation. That's an important clause. It's a sign of salvation. Not salvation itself, but a sign of being saved. And it's also throughout the whole Bible. That's an important clause to this as well. It's not just a New Testament thing, but it's something that you see actually throughout the whole of the Scriptures. So actually, when you look at the New Testament, which is the latter third of the Bible, so written by multiple authors about Jesus and about his death and resurrection, about how he saved us, and letters to the church to encourage them in that, when they talk about baptism, they say things like this, and this is my paraphrase, not their exact words, but I'll show you in a minute. They say, even though baptism as we know it is a New Testament thing, it was hinted at long ago in Old Testament times. So even though baptism as we now know it is a New Testament sacrament or image of grace or something that Christians do, the church does, it was hinted at long ago uh, at, uh, in Old Testament times. So a couple examples of this, we could look at many, but from a New Testament vantage point, and I'll explain why this is so important after we look at them, but in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church in the first century, and part of his letter, part of his encouragement to the church is to say this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers... Speaking of Old Testament Israelites, so he's writing here to Jewish Christians uh, who are in Corinth, but also to Gentiles as well, but that's another thing. That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so what he's referring to here is the Exodus event of the Old Testament when Israel was enslaved in Egypt and they were brought out miraculously. And part of that exodusing out or being brought out and being saved was that they passed through water. They, they passed through a parted sea. God, God enabled that sea to be parted miraculously, and they, they passed through it. So what Paul is saying here, it's interesting because 
in the Old Testament setting, the word baptism's not used, but Paul uses it. He says, when Israel exodus out of Egypt, when they were saved, when they exodus out through the sea that God split into two to allow them to pass through on dry land, when all that happened, it's like they were being baptized. When all that happened, it's like they were being baptized because they literally passed through water in association with their salvation. So he calls it baptism. And he makes a lesson out of it here. We're not going to talk about today, but he says, we too Christians have passed through water. We've been baptized as well, so learn from them. And he makes some points about it in context. Also, a different author, Peter, this Peter is one of Jesus' disciples, he says in his first letter to the church, this is a paraphrase, but he says, baptism corresponds to when God brought Noah and his family safely through water during what we call the great flood of Genesis. So again, baptism, it's not a word used in, in the old context in the book of Genesis, but when God judged the world and destroyed it because of sin, but saved Noah and his family, that is eight persons, he says, on that ark that he commanded Noah to build and all the animals, when he saved them from that judgment, from that punishment, uh, it was kind of like a baptism. It was a salvation event. The act itself of saving people on that boat was a salvation event. But it's not uh, a small thing that they also pass through water. And so he links it with baptism. It's kind of like the forerunner to the Christian sacrament of, of baptism. And so what these two theological and historical events, and they're salvation events, remember, these are actually events that people are being saved in these, in these stories and in these historical events, what they serve to communicate, and there are many others we could look at too, there are other passing through water events of the Old Testament, but these two main ones serve to communicate is that throughout all history, the people of God, when saved, pass through water. Throughout all history, going back thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the people of God, when saved by God, pass through water in association with that salvation. And this is a God-designed thing. He didn't have to take Israel through the sea. There were land bridges through the Red Sea to Egypt at that time. Many times people walked on those bridges. And so there were ways out that were not through water. But God chose to bring them intentionally through water so that baptism could be sort of preceded and imaged ahead of time. And so there's intentionality there. And same with the flood. God didn't have to destroy the world with water. It could have been through fire. I mean, God could have had both of these parties fly, for crying out loud, if he wanted to. You know, but he had them walk through on dry land, and he had Noah eventually get out with his family on dry land as well, passing through water in both instances uh, to be a baptism-like thing. Again, in association with a type or an image or a picture of salvation. And so all this then helps us with the when to baptism. These events themselves, the Exodus and and Noah's flood, point to the church's salvation spiritually. They're images themselves, as I've kind of been hinting at already. As Christians, we talk about, you know, sometimes the Bible talks in these terms about how we are like a new Israel who has escaped from a much worse kind of Egypt, and that Egypt is sin and death and the devil's family. And past, like... uh, like they did through water, we've passed uh, through water ourselves. We've been baptized in association with it, like they did through the sea. But we escape and we believe in the gospel. That's really important to understand. When do we escape? When do Christians truly escape? When do we, in the spirit of how Israel came up out of Egypt long ago, when do we escape from our Egypt? 
And the scriptures say clearly, we escape when we believe in the gospel, but not before. We escape sin when we believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, who died himself that we might live. His blood is the way out. So it gets uh, harder to justify infant baptism and pedo-baptism at this point because infants don't, on their own volition, place their trust in him or escape from sin and death simply by being born into a Christian family. It's really important. So Aletha and I were Christians before we had kids. We're believe, still believers. Uh, our, our kids aren't, uh, they don't escape from sin and death simply under the umbrella of our faith. They don't, they don't experience that second exodus. They don't, they're not saved simply by being our kids. It's their per, later profession of faith that saves them uh, from, from their sins. So, so this is how the New Testament starts to shape the idea of baptism using Old Testament imagery and tying that imagery together with how it all points to Christian conversion. Because those stories ahead of time are about Christian conversion later. They're salvation events. So, so to say that baptism is, is a sign of salvation is to say then that later in history, sinners would be saved from their sins and then pass through water themselves. Like the family of Noah and like the nation of Israel hundreds and hundreds of years before them. So we just say when we're saved from sin and death, when we effectively get on the ark and we trust that God will bring us through the flood safely. And so, so baptism is not a sign of hope for future salvation. Baptism is a sign of actual salvation. Let me say that again. Baptism is not a sign of hope for future salvation, but baptism all throughout history, Old and New Testament, is a sign of actual salvation. Not the act itself, but faith associated with the act. Which is really powerful to think about when we think that when we're baptized as Christians, we're keeping with a symbolic and historical tradition of passing through water that people from all points in history have shared for over 6,000 years. You're baptized as a Christian. You're sharing in a tradition and a symbol that has been true for all of God's people for over 6,000 years. Whether it's, whether it's Old Testament symbols and images that are baptism-like or whether it's actual baptism now in this New Testament era, uh, which is a sign of our profession of faith. Again, when God saves people, he brings them through water. We cannot read the Bible and the biblical witness and, and avoid this. He does it time and time again, and intentionally so. He could easily have avoided it. When God saves people, he brings them through water. When God saves people, he brings them through water. When God saves people, he brings them through water. Time and time and time again, right up to today in this very room and a little bit later in Lake Nokomis. It's really cool to think about that. It's powerful. We think about, we're no different. We're people just like Noah and his family, sinners being saved. We're just like Israel, sinners needing salvation from a, a corrupt, abusive nation. But, but a much worse and nightmarish thing than that, uh, our, our sin. So that's the first thing to see, is that baptism is a sign of salvation throughout the whole Bible. But, but with all this said, we, we still haven't gone far enough. Baptism is not just a sign of salvation, but a particular kind. And so that's the second thing here that, um, that we'll talk about. Baptism is a sign of a particular kind of salvation, not just salvation, but a particular kind, and that is salvation through Jesus. And I've kind of been hinting about this already, but, 
before we even get to our baptism as, um, I'll just say, human beings or, or, or as Christians, so humans being baptized, people being baptized, we read actually the first few pages of the New Testament in, in all four Gospels, so kind of lumping them together, all the Gospels witness uh, to this, is that Jesus was baptized. Jesus Christ himself came to earth. The first thing that happens to him, so outside of the two Gospels that record his birth, the circumstances surrounding his birth, they talk about his baptism, that he was baptized by John the Baptist, and it sort of began his three years of ministry before he dies on the cross and is raised again. And so, if you've ever wondered the question, it's a great question to ask. Uh, I've I've uh, asked it many times in my life and didn't have an answer for much of my life, and uh, it felt good to have an answer to it because it's a really weird thing. Uh, so some of you might be asking this as well, uh, and if you didn't, maybe I just bothered you with it because <laughs> it's a really tough thing to answer. Uh, but why was he baptized? Why did he have to be baptized? Did you ever wonder that? And he does it. He has to be doing it for different reasons, right, than all of Israel. If you know the story, all of Israel, it says, is coming down to the Jordan to be baptized it's kind of a preparatory thing for Christ who's coming. So it's kind of a prepare your hearts for the Messiah. Prepare your hearts for the King. He's coming. Look at your life. Be humble. Uh, prepare the way for, for the, the Lord who's coming to save his, his people from their sins. And so it can't be for that. Jesus is the Son of God who's perfect. He never sinned. He's not, he's not going down to the river as a sinner, as we were saying in that last song. It must be for other, uh, for other reasons. And there are a couple of big ones. The first reason is to point back to what we, what we just said. The first reason he is baptized is that he's showing that he himself was going to instigate a new kind of passing through the sea experience for God's people. A new way of escape from our darkest and most threatening enemies. The fact here that he's actually baptized in the Jordan River is important because that's where Israel, yet again, after the whole Exodus thing happened and they entered the Promised Land, yet again crossed through a parted body of water, a river this time, on dry ground as they entered the promised land. So God is this, uh, you know, I want to say almost painful, painfully repetitious way. It's not painful, but this, uh, this unavoidably repetitious way of, of passing his people through water. Yet again, they're baptized as they're saved into the land in association with uh, their, their salvation. So the fact that he's in the Jordan is to say that he is going to enable a new kind of entering God's promised land or presence type salvation. He's going to be the harbinger of it. He's going to be the, the one who's going to instigate it and, and, um, and be the first fruits of it himself. So that looks back to what we, what we had just talked about. So the first thing is he's fulfilling to show us that a new kind of exodus and deliverance was coming, a new type of deliverance from slavery, this time slavery from sin. And so like Israel here on the bottom passed through the sea, Jesus passed through water himself too to say, I am going to be the instigator of that. As the prophets talked about when they said, a new exodus is coming, it's going to come through me. And so he's baptized to show that. And all of Israel kind of being baptized with him. It shows that in many other cool symbolic ways too that um, time will not allow us to, to go into. But with this said, he, he's not just fulfilling things, old things, He's looking ahead to things. He's looking ahead to how exactly he's going to save us. And so if you're you're new to the Bible, these first parts of the gospel accounts, just a little tidbit on how to read them, is they're a wonderful section of scripture because they're kind of like the overlapping of the ages. They're, They're fulfilling the Old Testament, looking back, 
but also setting the stage for the new, looking ahead to Jesus's uh, ultimately why he came, which was to die and, and rise for, for sinners. And so that's what he's looking ahead to. Like everything in the Gospels points to it. His baptism symbolized his impending death and resurrection. That's why he was baptized. To show that later in his ministry he would be buried in the earth and he'd rise again three days later. Buried in water, rise up out of that water. Everything in the Gospels is about it. Whether in image form or whether direct prophecy, whether Jesus is explicitly talking about it, saying to his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and be rejected and crucified, and I must die, and I must, after three days, rise again. Everything's about it. So baptism symbolizes his impending death and resurrection. It was a way of telling people symbolically that he came to be buried, then he came to be raised to be immersed in death for sinners than to rise in victory over it so that we might live. That's ultimately why he came. To answer that, how exactly is this new exodus going to happen? How exactly is it going to, going to occur? And so when Christians then believe in this gospel, this is how the gospel is really in the act of baptism. Jesus is showing this with his actions and, and later saying it with his words, but he's showing it with his baptism. When Christians believe in that gospel, that the way to be saved is to believe that Jesus died for me and he rose again for me. When we believe in that gospel, then are baptized, we demonstrate with our actions our faith-filled association with the fact that God sent his son to die for us. And we with him, then in, into new life. So th those two things are important. When we're baptized, when a Christian is baptized, they point to the fact that Jesus was baptized, not just in water, but he's baptized into death, and he came up out of the figurative water when he came up out of that tomb three days later, baptized for us, for, for our sins, but we also share in it as well. So we point to it, but we also share in Christ's death. We participate in it, and we participate in his resurrection. This is really important. So it's not just intellectual assent to the fact that, yeah, this guy lived who died and rose again, but it's full-blown belief and trust in tying ourselves to this idea. And one of the best places you see this is in Romans 6, 1 to 5 and verse 11. So let's read this now. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So a little context here before we keep reading. So in, in the Roman church, Paul's writing about grace, that you're saved by God's grace, not by what you do, not by law, but, but by faith in, in God's Son. But then he says, some of you, though, will hear that and you'll want to twist the grace into licentiousness and into uh, what, I'm just, what I'm not saying. And so Paul here is kind of, he's anticipating the question and kind of heading it off. He's saying, to grace twisters, we'll call it, uh, those who are saying, great, God saves me by grace, now I can just live like hell. And he'll be obligated to save me in the end because once in my life I, I prayed this prayer uh, in church or whatever. You know, he's saying to those people, uh, by no means. We can't say that. His response actually to that is baptism theology. The way he counters that bad theological twisting of grace idea is to say, think about baptism by immersion as a believer. That will help you fix it. So let's read what he says here. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. So a couple really important things here to make sure uh, you're, you're seen, we're all seen. Is one, note that water baptism ties itself to dying and rising with Jesus. That's, that's the ultimate symbol. When a Christian is lowered in the water, it's like they're dying. And when they're lifted up out of that water, it's like they're resurrecting. Just like, just like Jesus did himself, he made that possible for sinners. So we point to that, Christ's baptism into death and, and into his new life. We also share in it. Our old self dies and our, and our new self is raised. So it has recreative properties by faith. Not the act of baptism itself, but faith associated with the act. When we believe in Jesus, our old self dies and our new self is raised with Jesus in Christ. And so actually, we can say things like, or the Bible says things like, uh, in Galatians 2, he says, it's no longer we who live anymore, but Christ who lives within us. So, so if you're alive in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, if your old self has died, that life you're living right now, it's actually not you. It's Christ within you. That's what this is saying. And that's what baptism images immersion baptism and resurrection type imagery in baptism as well so he's saying then to these people who are twisting the idea of grace who are again are saying great it's by grace awesome just tell me what i got to sign or sort of sort of intellectually ascend to but then i can just live my old life how i want over here but in the end god is i found a loophole in other words i i can live forever but just live like hell now so what what, what this is saying to those types of thinkers is not only here's what you got to think that's wrong not only has jesus forgiven you of your sins and died for you in your place but he dragged your old self down into the grave with him and he left that old self there when he came up do you believe that see that's the challenge in the throes of sin and temptation do you believe that theological principle right there this is how he's countering licentiousness and twisting grace. This is actually how he's helping the church not to sin, is to think about the gospel, to think about Jesus' death and resurrection, and then to think about our death and resurrection with him and our identity as ris actual risen different beings right now. Not that that means perfection, but it means life change. It has to, he's saying. How, how can we... How can we who died, who were baptized into the water or death and who rose again with Christ, how can we still live in that sin or at least have the perspective that, great, grace is a free pass to sin. But again, I want to make sure you're seeing this. Good baptism theology helps you not to sin. Good baptism theology helps you not to sin. 
And this is something that's sprinkling with a little bit of water when you're a baby. None of this, is, this imagery is possible with that. Because the gospel is not about washing a smudge off your forehead so now you can go and be good in the world. The gospel is about complete death and complete resurrection. A complete start over. And a little bit of water on your forehead when you're a child uh, doesn't allow for that type of powerful imagery to say, what is my identity? What is the gospel? Is it reorienting me five degrees to say you're, you got in the habit of sin, but let me kind of remind you of how to be good? Or is it saying the essence of our faith is the death and resurrection of God who died for us and our faith in him brings us down into that earth, our old self, and as he rose out, our new self is, is risen up out of that earth as well. All right, so here's the so what. We've kind of been talking about the so what, but here's the so what. See the gospel in the sign. One thing um, you need to know about God is that he's really good at saying and showing He's the God of realities, and he's the God of shadows, the explicit and the implicit. This came up last week, too, if you were here, we talked about Psalm 24. Jesus loves doing this as well. He loves saying, here's what the gospel is, and here's what it's like. Here's what it is, and it's kind of like this. The kingdom of God is kind of like this, and he speaks in a parable. So implicitly talking about it as well. Signs matter to God. Symbols matter to God. And so they should to us as well. The, the, the perspective, it's just a symbol so it doesn't matter, is very American. It's very modernistic. But it's a million miles from the heart of God on this matter. And it's a million miles from the, the true biblical perspective on just symbols in general. But we'll talk about baptism uh, where baptism really is in terms of the grand scheme of what God is trying to do salvifically in the world. So, so here's what it means then to see the gospel in the sign. And, and when I say that again, going back to what I said earlier, this is for all of you. Christian, not a Christian, baptized as a believer, not baptized as a believer. You can still see the gospel in this idea. And, um, and it's good, it should be good news for you because you can apply faith to this idea. You can believe in the gospel embedded, symbolized in this idea while, where, wherever you're at. So here's what it means to see the gospel in the sign. Being saved is kind of like being baptized. It's like going for a nice relaxing swim. There's lots of gospel in that image. And one of the big reasons why it's so important to watch baptisms as well, and I hope many of you can come today uh, to watch the three baptisms that are going to happen. We get baptized once as a Christian, but we can watch them a bunch. And when we watch them, we see the gospel that we need to keep seeing and hearing over and over again. So it's not just a one-and-done thing. It's for the whole church to witness experience and to witness in an ongoing sense. So here's the three things. The gospel, or, or being saved, is, is kind of like being, being baptized. And, and the gospel in that, and there's so many things, but he, here's three things that means. One, uh, it's simple. Baptism's a simple thing. So when, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, uh, make disciples and baptize them, 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, baptize them. He doesn't say, make disciples and tell them to scale a mountain. That would be difficult. But he says, go down to a river, like that song said, let's just go down to the river as sinners and be baptized. That's a simple thing. If the sacrament was physically difficult to do, if the sacrament was physically difficult to do, like scaling a mountain, some of you might be climbers, I'm not, uh, it'd be very difficult for me to do. To, to free climb the face of whatever. You know, if, if he said, if, if that's the sacrament, the physical thing that says that images the gospel, then that could communicate that we're saved by works and not grace. Because God would say, do something, climb something, ascend to something, do something difficult, work harder at building your muscle mass so that you can do X, Y, and Z. But instead, he says, believe the gospel and be baptized. Relatedly, and all these kind of are saying the same thing. Uh, but it's, it's full of grace, not law. We, we could ask that question. We do a lot here. Where's the law? Where are the Ten Commandments? Where are the conditions? And, and as Jesus talks about baptism, wherever he's talking about it, wherever the apostles are talking about it, elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, baptism alone is talked about. It's not lumped together with conditionality. Jesus didn't die and then give us a law-based catechism to memorize. He gave us the sacrament of baptism so that we wouldn't start to believe that we're saved by what we do. And so that the ongoing center of our faith is death and resurrection, not morality. Death and resurrection, not a little bit of washing on our forehead as if sin were like a little bit of a smudge versus a cancer eating our bones. Stage four. And then third, the, the gospel and the sign is it's passive. What I mean by this is when, when you're baptized, when a person's baptized, someone else does the baptizing, right? Like you, you can't baptize yourself. At least, at least you shouldn't. <laughs> I guess it's, if that happened, I guess, I don't know if I'd say re, be rebaptized, but, you know, it just probably wasn't ideal. Um, I don't think that's possible. But um, someone else does the baptizing. In the same way, our salvation is passive, right? Do you do anything to save yourselves? Can you? See, we're, we're, we are baptized passively and we are saved passively. They have to go together. A sacrament makes no sense. It won't point to the right gospel. So when someone else, a pastor or a friend or a father, baptizes you, they are an image of God to you in that moment. They are a picture of your creator lowering you into death with his son, releasing you of your old self that was chained to you like a body of death, like Paul says in Romans 7, and pulls you up out completely liberated, completely remade, completely his son and daughter or daughter, and completely in, in a resurrected state. So the fact that baptism is passive tells us a lot about the gospel. We can see that, whether we're being baptized ourselves or watching someone. Salvation is passive because God alone saves us. We don't save ourselves. And so we have faith in the same way we walk into the water with someone else uh, to lower us in and bring us up and out. And that might sound like a simple thing, uh, but I, I, I can guarantee you one of the biggest battles you'll fight as a Christian the rest of your life will be the temptation to not believe that anymore. 
And, and if you don't think that, you, you might be more in the throes of that than you think. How are you listening to the lie that you baptize yourself, that you save yourself, that you bring yourself up out of death with a lot of good works? Baptism, when we see it, when we talk about it, when we read about it, when we experience it, flies in the face of moralism. They cannot coexist because it's passive. God saves us alone like someone else baptizes us alone. So in terms of what we do with this, uh, one, come to baptisms today. I'd love to have all of you guys there. I mentioned that before. That'd be great. The, the, the takeaway here, though, is not primarily get baptized. Uh, if, if you haven't and, and you're a Christian and you want to, you can today. We're, we're perfectly fine with spontaneous baptisms. We just want a two-minute conversation, which can happen today. So talk to us. It's totally fine. Or we'll have another one later in September. I think September 17th, if you'd like to wait for that one, that'd be great. Uh, with that said, the, the, the main takeaway is not be baptized. The main takeaway in light of all of this, I hope it's clear, but if it's not, is believe in Jesus who is your baptism. That's what the scriptures are teaching. He was baptized before we ever were. Order is extremely important here. To show us that he's the one who saves, not us. His death and resurrection precedes and makes possible ours. If ours came first, the whole thing goes out the window. But his came first to show that it's his death, his resurrection that takes our sins away and gives us, purchases for us a new life. That's the gospel. If our baptism as an infant comes before our conversion, that whole thing's kind of thrown out the window as well in terms of order. So first, believe in Jesus, then get baptized and experience the sign of the gospel. And then see the gospel in baptism. The gospel in baptism is kind of like when we're seeing a baptism, it's kind of like we're escaping from the city of death. It's kind of like we're on the ark with Noah, kept perfectly safe. It's kind of like we're being washed all of our sins, but even more, it's like we're dying and rising again into new life, so we're completely new people. Sin is no longer our master because a death has occurred. As we associate with Jesus' death and resurrection, rather than a list of commandments, we could never keep perfectly. And here's what it ultimately says. This is what baptism ultimately says. Jesus loves you guys loves you deeply because he was baptized into death itself for you. Baptism is about his death and resurrection, ultimately. It's about him. So when we see it, we're, we're reminded that God condescended, lowered himself. He became almost nothing in putting us first, almost nothing when he walked to the cross in his, not water baptism, though that points to it, in his, I mean, his death baptism. We'll sing about this in just a second. And so the message here is wherever you're at with this doctrine or spiritually, believe in Jesus Christ and whatever, whatever you've done will be erased. It will be carried down deep into Hades, into the earth, and left there. Jesus himself will carry it there in his own death. And he will come up in victory saying, believe in me. You're brand new. I will make you new. You will be my child, and your relationship with me will be dictated on my love and, and through my blood spilt for you forever, not based on what you have to give me. 
So it's a declaration of love. It screams God's love for sinners who can't scale mountains, but with his help can walk down to a river and just, and just beg for forgiveness. So that's what we need to do today. As a church, I'm speaking to those of you who are Christians, uh, and those of you who are not, I invite you to pray that for the first time and to be saved from your sins forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this sacrament, this gospel, this uh, chance to look at Romans 6 and other passages, I guess, today too, but uh, Romans 6. Thank you for the, the sacraments of water baptism, for what it pulls from, the legacy in the Old Testament, the signs and types beforehand, but what it, what it ultimately images and embodies in death and resurrection, Christ's and then ours with him. Uh, thank you, Father, that um, there's so much grace in it as well. It's easy, it's simple, it's not law-centered, it's passive. And there's more things we could say uh, about that. But the, the, the ongoing center, the, the two things you want the church to do regularly is uh, hear your word in the scriptures. Aside from that, it's the two sacraments, is, is to eat and the, my blood and body in communion and to be baptized. Those are extremely grace-centered things. And it's not a small thing or inconsequentially insignificant that you said those were the two things I want you to do until I come back. Have the Lord's, eat, eat the Lord's Supper, take communion, and, and baptize people when they're saved. And to watch those and to remember your own salvation when you do. So, God, thanks for the grace there is in that for sinners like us. That's really good news. That that's all it takes is to trust in you in a baptism kind of way, but to trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins, um, for that exodus release. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.